0: So to look at God's word, we are starting, starting today, this Sunday, um, from the book of Timothy, the first epistle to Timothy, and we'll start, we'll stay in Timothy till the end of October. So what I'm going to ask you to do, if you can just stand with me, those of you who can, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to read chapter one, verses three to twenty. First Timothy chapter three, verse twenty. Please stand with me if you can. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, not to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God. This is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now, we know that the law is good, and and if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, which I have been entrusted. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy. My child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, the holding faith, holding faith and good conscience by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith and among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Verse 18 again, which is our key verse for today. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made to you, uh, made about you, sorry, but by them that you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and good conscience. May, please be seated. May God bless the reading office verse. And what we want to do today is we want to look at the context of the letter. We look at how it connects with the overall message of the Bible, and we will see how it aligns with us, uh, with the message that we have for today. What is it, what's in it for us? What is it that we can take away from this uh, book, this episode, chapter one? So when we look at Timothy, we know it's called the what? It's the Pastoral Epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, these are called the Pastoral Epistles because the broad intent of these letters are, uh, it's in the context of the local church. Um, You can remember two things. One is about sound doctrine, and second is sound discipline. To defend sound doctrine, and second, to maintain sound discipline discipline sound doctrine because god's word has been entrusted and so we hold on to sound doctrine and sound discipline because the souls of the flock are to be guarded and so there's discipline that comes in so that uh they are encouraged the the discipline is not to cast away but to bring them back to to uh to god and so we see that as the broad um, uh, message, if you would, of the uh, pastoral epistles. Even though it's addressed to an individual, like Timothy and Titus, those are the two people to whom these pastoral epistles have been addressed, these epistles, you will see, is, is meant for the whole church because of the language. It's a second-person language, as in, you know, there is, there is an inclusiveness. So what Paul is saying, listen, I'm writing to Timothy and to Titus, but the message is for the entire church so that they benefit from the council. They understand what is happening. For example, there's that phrase, grace be with you. In ESV, it's written, grace be with you all, because the word you in Greek is a plural Uh, Paul is indicating that this is a message, and and, and yet we know it's a very personal letter. It's, It's from an apostle to an apprentice, from a veteran discipler to a new discipler. I'm saying discipler. I want us to notice that from a seasoned minister to a young pastor, from an older man to a younger man, from a father to a son, this letter is personal. As, as Paul says, uh, Timothy is my dear child. It's a very affectionate term. It's interesting. He uses that my dear child for Timothy and for Titus. And as he writes... To these two, these pastoral letters, he calls them my child. So we see that in verse 2 where it says, To Timothy, my true child in the faith. Now, what is, a, what is the meaning of Timothy? What do you know? Honoring God or precious to God honoring God, or precious to God. And, and it's interesting how Timothy has become precious to Paul, and he uh, expresses that in this phrase that, uh, that we have in verse 2. I want to say a few words about Timothy as a person. Uh, Timothy, we know, is young. We, we gather that as we read the epistle, and we also see that he's timid. So Timothy, timidity, you know, it seems to sound the same, but he is young and he's timid. And um, as you read those episodes, you will see uh, uh, Paul telling Timothy, you know, have wine for your stomach's sake. Uh, so he, it seems like he was a frail health some people say it could be ulcers, but that would be, um, you know, reading into it. We don't know what Timothy was suffering with, but then he was frail indeed. And the reason I say this is this, because, you know, sometimes we say, okay, Timothy, you're timid, you're weak, your health is frail. And so responsibilities of being a Christian is going to, you know, you can over, overlook that. And we will see here is that there's no excuse for Timothy. His responsibilities as a Christian is, is there. Weakness of flesh or of personality is no excuse for God not to use you or to be useful to God. All right. But his timidity doesn't stop him from being fruitful. Timothy gets to, we we don't know, but as we uh, read through and scholars um, uh, get a sense that when Paul had come to Lystra in his first missionary journey, uh, that is when Timothy had come to know the Lord. And now he's coming back about three years, a little less than two years, or a maximum of two years, let's say. Paul is coming back in his second journey. And that's when he, you know, he's face-to-face with Timothy. And Timothy has grown in the Lord by then, in two years. He's grown in the Lord, so much so that in Acts chapter 16, we read of his exceptional testimony, reputation. He's known not just in Lystra, but in, in surrounding areas. And so Paul invites him to join with him in the journey. And so the latter half of the second missionary journey Timothy becomes the travel companion of Paul. And he's there with him in the third missionary journey also. And so the setting of this episode is we don't know again when was it that Paul came back. It, it, it seems like after his release from Rome, he was coming back. And as he came to Ephesus, he sees that the very things that he had warned them about, that there are these false teaching and false teachers is going to come if you remember in Miletus in Acts chapter 20 as he couldn't come into Ephesus he calls the elders from Ephesus to come and he says listen guard yourself and the flock over which God has made you overseers because after I go there's going to be fierce wolves false teachers who's going to come and that future that he spoke about he saw that was right there they'd already come and so at that time In verse 3, we see Paul urging Timothy. He urges Timothy. It seems like Timothy didn't want to, but then, you know, he he tells Timothy to to stay back. It's it's like telling Timothy, it's time for your training wheels to go off. You know, you've been with me now for about seven years. It would be about seven years from that first time that uh, Timothy has been traveling with, Paul, and now in Ephesus, he's saying, listen, you need to stay back so that you can, in verse uh, 3, he says, as I urged you as I was going from Macedonia to remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, not to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Now I uh, think about myself. If I were Timothy, I don't know if you got the sense of trepidation and of fear. Timothy was from a small town and he was being sent to Ephesus, which is like the New York of the present time. A small town like what? Milton? No? Okay. (laughs) Uh, New Jersey? I don't know. No? Okay. Uh, But he was going into a big town. He was away. He was in a strange place. And there... Adding to his personality is Timothy feels that he is a little green behind his ear, because uh, in First Timothy chapter four verse 12, Paul is telling Timothy, "Listen, don't let your youth be the reason for not standing up to, to, uh, to these false teachers. Let them not look down on your, on your youth." And so this letter is like a written authorization as it were, uh, to say, uh, Timothy, you need to carry, on, carry out this pastoral work in the church at Ephesus. And so the, uh, the reason why Timothy is written, if you will turn with me to chapter 3, verse 14 and verse 15, you will see, as it were, the mission of this letter. Why is this letter itself written? In chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. This is about how to behave in the household of God. This is to say, this is how ch- local church needs to be administered. I see Paul had this um, desire to see local churches being as one body. Coming together and working as a body, every part of the body working together. He writes to the uh, in the Ephesians in the epistle to the Ephesians, that they all work together in love. Now I was thinking sometimes, you know, you would find these uh, different parts of the body coming, and the stay as different parts of the body. Think about it, right? Like an auto uh, retail store. In an auto retail store, if you walk in probably you will find every part that's required for the car. And yet, it's not a car. And Paul is saying, listen, as different parts of the body, you're not just to come together and, you know, you're not individuals, but you're coming together as a body that works together. And so he is quite, you know, he invests this time writing the three epistles that we have but not just that if you turn to verse five you will see the specific charge that timothy is given in verse five in verse five it says the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith paul is saying listen paul peter timothy sorry if you do it all right if you this is our charge if you teach right if you preach right the end result is love Love out of a pure heart, out of a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And uh, let me read to you a quote by Stephen Cole. We get diverted from the true goal of the Christian life and busy ourselves with lesser things. Jesus clearly summed up the goal when he said that the two greatest commandments in God's law were were to love God with all our being and to love our neighbor Uh, We do, in fact, as we do, in fact, ourselves. Sorry, let me read that again. And he said that the two greatest commandments in God's law were to love God with all our being and to love our neighbors as we do, in fact, love ourselves. Genuine love for God and others is the goal of Christian life. Paul was saying, good teaching does not change just what you believe, but how you behave. It must reflect in your life. Life must change. Belief is not just for knowledge. Teaching is not just for knowledge. It is for change of life. And what he does after from verse 8 to verse 10, he brings the law as an example. Now, Paul is an expert in the law, and he brings in this example, and he says the law is good. What he's saying, listen, listen, it's easy to look at the law and practice everything that the law is saying to the letter of the law, but forget the spirit of the law, you know, you forget what the law is given. You want to practice everything. Uh, the, in Deuteronomy chapter six, there is this uh, passage that reads about this uh, this phrase, which says, you know, this word of God. You must meditate on it day and night, and and you must have it on the frontlets of your eye, on your forehead, and 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 the doorpost. And and so Orthodox Jews, what they do is they have this phylacteries, these boxes in which they put the word, and tied on their foreheads. They have the word of God written on their fence. As of doing that, they have completed the command of the. Lord, but God keeps saying again and again through the entire passage, through through that passage, saying that listen, I don't, it's not just that you've done that task, but you've forgotten your heart. Where's your heart? As individuals, as humans, it's you know it's easy for us to find some task, like a token task. We want to check it off. We want to, yeah, we've done this, we've done this, we've done this. God, you need to be happy. God is saying no. I want total commitment, total commitment. No empty practices. You see, true love. Paul was trying to tell Timothy this. Listen, when you teach, when you preach, when, when they understand, when they have this true love, out of a pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith, when you have this love, love will not be satisfied by doing these empty tasks. It'll create in you a commitment. And it's true for relationships too, isn't it? My wife is not expecting from me some task that I would do. Do the laundry, wash the dishes, check, check, check. And she's happy. But a commitment. Relationship requires that love that comes from a heart. And, and, and Paul is bringing to fore, right at the beginning, this one thing. That knowledge, the teaching, and, and the transformation and as you will see, this concept of learning and teaching, that's what he's telling Timothy. Listen, the things that you've learned, you have to now teach, and um, learning and teaching, which is, uh, which is the theme of Timothy. And what I want to say very quickly as I go through this, and this is what I want to capture our attention, that the theme of Timothy is the theme, if you would, God's desire since ages. Come with me to Genesis. Genesis in the Garden of Eden. Satan's oldest strategy was that the, the devil came to uh, Eve and says, is this what God said? And we know the answer that Eve gave in verse 3 of chapter 3 of Genesis. Uh, God says, you know, you can eat of any fruit from the midst of the garden, but neither shall you, uh, you shall not eat this, neither shall you touch it. Uh, We look at that and it says, yeah, Eve, yeah, that sounds very pious. But listen, you've added to God's word. God had not said that. You see, the danger when we don't know God's word is that we either add to it or we take away from it. And these false teachers, as we read from verse 4, 5, and 6, you will see that they were bringing in myths and endless genealogies that and speculating, which is not part of what God had said. And that was taking away from the truth of God's word. And, and Paul is careful to say, listen, that is not That is not something that uh, you should be doing. You should guard that. That's the. That's what you have to hold on to. And um, I. I was thinking. I was. I I don't know if you watched this movie Apollo thirteen. Apollo thirteen is based on that true story, where the lunar mission had to be aborted because two days into the, uh, the flight to, to the moon, the oxygen tank explodes, and as a result, the space module is uh, destroyed. And so what they had to do is they had to shut off power because they had to save power. They, they didn't, they, there was no heat, and they even had to shut off the computer the, that would steer the spacecraft and they just had about 39 seconds worth of fuel that they had to use in such a way that would steer them back to Earth. And now with your computers gone, how do you steer in space? How do you know where to go? And, and so if you will watch that uh, movie, if you watch movies, that, uh, um, uh, that the astronaut what he does the one who captains that he he is looking through a small peephole from the spacecraft and he focuses on the earth and so manually he charges uh, you know he boosts the engine in such a way that it gets back on the orbit and they safely land back on earth and as i think about that example this is what comes to mind that he had that focus, saying that that's my destination, that's my goal, I'm going to fix my point, the earth will be my point. And that is where where I have to head to. And if we were to look at our uh, lives, if we don't have the Word of God as our focus, if we don't have the Word of God as the one that aligns our life, that makes those adjustments for us, we will be Uh, destroyed we it's you know our lives would be a mess and and so we see that in in um, in Genesis but I want you to stay with me as you go to Exodus and I'm going a little quick and I had a little more in Genesis but let's go to Exodus you see when in Exodus what happens God delivers them from out of Egypt. And he doesn't just deliver them out of Egypt and leave them to nowhere, but he leads them to a promised land. But in between, what happens? What's the point? Mount Sinai the law is given. So you ask yourself, why is it that Mount Sinai comes after deliverance and before the promised land? And and as you read Exodus and Deuteronomy, you will see God is saying, listen, this is going to be the way of life. This is how I want. I'm calling up people for, for, for my name's sake. There is a way that you have to live, and that's the law. That's the word of God being given to them. The ceremonial laws, the civic laws, the social laws, all of that were given were superior to the society close by. You will notice that. But God is saying, listen, there is a a point reference of how you need to live your life. Then we get to Deuteronomy. Uh, We know Deuteronomy is a Repetition. We frequently, as you read Deuteronomy, remind yourself, remember, remember. you That's one of the common phrases that's used. And yet, when you get to chapter 6, there's another thing that you see, the phrase, where we're looking at the theme, learn and teach. We get this in chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. We see in that classic passage, the word study, meditate, teach. God is saying these things that have happened to you, I want you to remember how you were saved, how you were delivered from Egypt, but I want you not just to uh, remember that, but I want you to learn God's word, not just learn God's word, I want you to teach God's word. Learning and teaching. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7 to 9, it says, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home, when you are on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you are getting up, tie them to your hands, wear them on your forehead as reminders, write them on the doorpost of your house and on your on your gates. You know that word teach has got a very powerful word. It means to wet, to to have this appetite, create an hunger. The God's word would would be the desire that he would teach that and sometimes we think that you know god 's word is dry and you know no get ex, you know you, you get that excitement because you love god 's word and you teach the love to your children and that is what Deuteronomy six says you create that appetite for god 's word and then As you get to verse 5, you will see the intent for learning and for teaching. Verse 5 says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. All the learning, all the teaching must create in you a love. That is what Paul tells Timothy right at the beginning. The charge, the aim of our charge is love out of a pure heart a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And in Deuteronomy, God is saying, listen, you know, this learning of the law is not because you've gone to a school and you checked it out, but that it would be life for you. This would be, this is life. This is how you do life. This is how you would be different from everybody else around you get down to Proverbs. This is um, what Hamilton writes about Proverbs. He says, Proverbs are the writings intended to show Solomon's teaching of obedience to Deuteronomy 6 through 17. We know in in Proverbs, as you read, it's uh, it's about the practical aspect of it. And I just love chapter 4 because in chapter 4, it's about the father's word to the son. Let me read to you chapter 4, verses 1 to 4 of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender and only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and he said to me, let your heart hold fast my words and keep my commandment and live. We get three generations. Solomon is saying, my father taught me and now he is teaching his son the things of God's word. He learned and he is teaching. We get to Great Commission. You know, if you take an example from the New Testament, Matthew chapter 28 to 19 and 20, he says, you know, making disciples, teaching all that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you till the end of the age, teaching what I've commanded you. Uh, you know, sometimes we make this Great Commission a passage about evangelism. We say, oh, if that's about evangelism. No, it's about discipleship. And a disciple is who? He's the one who learns, learning God's word, and not just learning God's word. Making disciple means teaching God's word, learning and teaching. And we know this: um, Paul telling Timothy in chapter two, Second uh, Timothy chapter two and verse two. It says, "You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things that you heard from me in the midst of many witnesses, that entrust of faithful men." are able to teach others also. What's happening here? Paul is telling Timothy, listen, what you have learned, you have to teach, and you have to hold fast to that. We saw even through Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Proverbs, the, the message of learning and teaching is, is continuous. That if we don't understand God's word, if you don't know God's word, then we start to make up our own understanding, our own reference points. We need to know God's word. And so I ask this, how do I align myself? What is it for us as members of a community, as parents, as older brothers, as older men, women, brothers, sisters, what 's in it? What does this mean to us? How do we look at it? And I, I look at this as, as a member of the church that we need to study God's word together because there's this learning in the community. And then, as you get to a parent, I you know to be this intentional Bible parent. I came across an article last week, or I think it was last week, about um, someone writing saying that how uh, bedtime stories really helped her grow in the Lord. Her mother had nine kids, so she had, you know, eight other siblings. And in spite of a heavy load, the mother would take time to share bedtime stories, and they were from the Bible. And that gave a strength and solace to this person and she writes about it. And I want to urge you parents, young parents who are there, you know, life gets tough. I understand all that. But taking God's word, because that's the only frame of reference that's gonna change. I, I, I get worried when you know we, we 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 sometimes call this the Google parenting, do we not? We find all our answers in Google. And yet, Bible is the one in God's Word for life and for faith. That we would invest our, our... That we would learn ourselves so we know what God's Word is saying and then teach it before they make their own points of reference. And... Um, so that I, I, I've i shared this often about this influence that we are, you know, whatever roles that we play, you know, whether we are a brother or sister or a, a husband or a wife or a parent or uh, older, younger, whatever, we, we, we tend to be an influence. And if we were to influence our younger ones, the children, we write, read that in Matthew chapter 8, 18, verse 6, that if we were to offend any of these, if we were to cause any of these young ones to sin it's better these are the words of Jesus he says it's better to put a millstone around your neck and jump into the sea so this is the message Paul is saying listen Timothy I understand your personality I you know you're saying that you're timid you're fearful your health is not good but that's no excuse for clarity in God's word, for standing to God's word. So I want to very quickly invite you to stand in the shoes of Timothy to hear what Paul may have said to Timothy. And these are the lessons that I have taken for myself, and and I read this to you. So the key words that we have for today is 1 Timothy 1. 1, verse 18 and 19, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance to the prophecies previously made about you, that you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Paul writes to Timothy the consequence. So Timothy, he says, listen, I want you to remember this charge that I'm giving you is a warfare. It's waging the good warfare. Hey, Timothy, this is not going to be easy. It's going to be a war. It's going to be a good warfare. And I want you to do this holding faith and good conscience. Hey, Timothy, this warfare requires you to stand up for the truth. Hey, Timothy. Timothy. I understand it's going to be a struggle. A struggle against your flesh, against the world systems, against the devil. But I want you to stay faithful and fight the good fight. You don't feel competent? Hey, Timothy, I understand you're not competent. You're not feeling comfortable in dealing with conflict. You're young and you're timid. But hey, Timothy, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you ought to be a discipler. And remember the Lord is with you. To the end of the ages. People are not the enemy. Hey, Timothy, I want you to remember yes, this is a warfare, but people are not your enemies. You're to love the people. Do not forget the aim of the charge because it's love out of a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. That as you love them, they grow in love and are able to love out of a pure heart, good conscience, and a sincere faith. And rejecting these principles will shipwreck faith. Hey, Timothy, both Hymenius and Alexander, I have turned them over to God's discipline because of their determination to continue living in a manner that is contrary to the will of God. Hey, Timothy, this discipline would come on them through the agency of Satan so that they would repent and stop blaspheming God by their lives. The consequence of rejecting um, God's word. And Paul says, listen, I want to do this. This is what I want to do, and this is how I want to faithfully end my life. To the end of my life, this is what I want to do, Paul says, because, and he is able to, in Second Timothy chapter 4 verse 6 to 8, he says, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I've kept the faith. i fought the good fight. And then Paul says, this is the charge I entrust to you that as you hold firm to the things that you've been taught that you would charge them not to not to teach any other different doctrine not to devote themselves to myths and to endless genealogies and that you will wage a good warfare waging a good warfare so I want to encourage you brothers and sisters this is a good warfare that we're waging when we stand firm in the word of god we wage a good warfare even when the rest of the world has is trying to tell you that the bible is irrelevant to life it's a good warfare that you will say i will do what god's word is telling me to do not just that i believe what is there is true but it changes my behavior Belief and behavior have to come together in a Christian life. And so this is the charge entrusted from Paul to Timothy, and I believe it is for us too, that we hold firm and fight the good warfare. May his name be glorified. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray, Lord, that, um, that we would stay, st- uh, stay firm and fixed on the word, and to know that what you command of us, what you want us to do is what we will do, that we will invest time to learn your word and not just to learn but also to teach, that we would be found faithful, even as Paul tells Timothy, that we will find the men and women to entrust this and teach and that we would be the disciple and the discipler so that uh, the mandate of the good, uh, Great Commission would be fulfilled in our lives. We pray this, Lord, for our community here. We pray for each one of us, Lord, and we pray that, um, that you would find us faithful on that day. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.